got your Bible, turn to Nehemiah chapter 2. I'm going to look at verse number 17 with me. Nehemiah chapter number 2, verse number uh, 17 this morning. I'm going to read down to verse number 20. Nehemiah 2, verse 17 through 20. It says, Then said I unto them, Nehemiah speaking, Then said I unto them, Ye see the distress that we are in. He's talking to the remnant that is in Jerusalem. That we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. <clears throat> so they strengthened their hands for this good work. But when Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant the Ammonite and Geshem the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, What is this thing that ye do? Will ye rebel against the king? Then answered I them and said unto them, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore we as servants will arise and build. But ye have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. In verse number 18, the phrase I want you to notice, the, the people, what they said, it said, Let us rise up. And build. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. I ask you again now for liberty. Lord, again, would you please, again, may you be glorified uh, as far as what we say. And Lord, give us again the exact words you once said. Bless your people today. I'm, I'm thankful, Lord, we can be in church. And Lord, for the people that you brought to heritage. Lord, I ask you to please bless them today. Lord, again, feed us from your word. May uh, we all draw closer to you. Uh, may we not just come sit here and then not do with what you've, we spoke to us about. Uh, Father, again, we just ask for your blessings. Great God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Church, I mean, the story is really simple. If you know the book of Nehemiah, <clears throat> we understand that Nehemiah was there to repair the wall. So he is, <clears throat> he is in Babylon, uh, and while he is there, you remember the story, of course, in Ezra, the first group went over uh, with Zerubbabel, about 50,000 people, 45,000 Israelites, I think it was seven, or 42, I should say, and 7,000 or so servants. But they all go over to uh, back to, I should say, after 70 years, they go back to Jerusalem. They, again, uh, lay the foundation of the temple. The temple is built. Um, and then it, uh, I, th I think several years later, I wouldn't give you an exact number, several years later, Ezra go goes with another smaller group. You know, it's interesting. Brother Daniel's taught last week, and I haven't had a chance to listen to it, but I heard secondhand some of the things, really good thought of having a temple but not worshiping in that temple. And we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm sure it was a good thought last week. And so Ezra goes on that second group, and of course he uh, reestablishes temple worship and the, what they should have been doing all along. Now you have Nehemiah. Uh, some of his friends and relatives come back to where he is serving in Babylon, and they, he asks, how's things going? In chapter 1, how are things going back there in Jerusalem? Because he knew that Ezra and others had gone back. And he says, how's things going? And we understand in chapter number 1 that they, it was not very good. Let me just read a verse or two if you don't mind. Look at Nehemiah chapter 1. And uh, look down, uh, let's see here, verse number 2 in that uh, verse number one, the words of Nehemiah, one verse one, the, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, and it came to pass in the month Chislu, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. So that remnant that went back to Jerusalem, he says, what's going on with them? How are they doing? Verse three, and they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned at certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Wonderful illustration and thoughts here about Nehemiah. Of course, he's concerned. And so he has a desire to go back. And we understand in chapter number one that he, go, he prays to God and says, God, listen, uh, obviously this shouldn't be this way. Would you allow me to go back and, and uh, help build that wall? And so in chapter number two, he goes before the king, and he's never been sad 
in the king's, in, in the king's presence before. He's the king's cupbearer, and the king says, what's wrong? And he says, well, what's wrong is, is back in Jerusalem, the walls are broken down, and the gates are burned, and my brethren are in affliction. And the king says, what do you want me to do, and, or what would you like to do? And he says, I'd like to go back. And it's interesting, because he was allowed to go back for 12 years. And uh, so he goes back, and he's the governor of, of sorts, uh, the governor, and he goes back as Nehemiah, and he helps build this wall. And so we're reading in chapter number two, and he, he gets there, and he views the wall, and he gets the people together. And he says, hey, listen, the good hand of God is upon, upon me, and God wants us to build this wall. What do you think about it? And the Bible says, says the people said, let us rise up and build. Let, let's, let's build this. And I, t I know there's lots of applications to this. I, I'll tell you, the Christian life, it's, it's a building life. Yes, it's a marathon. It's a, I'm sorry, it's a race. And we continue to run that race, and sometimes we get tired. But can I tell you, it's, it's, it's not just a race. It's not just, it's not just a battle. I know we're Christians, and we're part of God's army. But can I tell you something? It's building. And there's something about building. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes work. It takes unity. And so here Nehemiah says, listen, I, I want to go back and build. And he's given permission in chapter 1, or chapter 2, I should say. He's given permission. He comes at the end of chapter 2, and, and, and the, the people said, okay, let's, let's build. Now, church family, uh, the application this morning is for you to make as the Holy Spirit would dictate. But I want to just tell you as a Christian, all of us are builders. Amen. And we should be builders. Amen. When we talk about add to your faith, when we talk about to grow in grace, what is that? It's about building the Christian life, that we would continue to stair step up and not stair step down. That we would not backslide, but that we would go forward. And that's, that's part of building. How do we build? We, we read the book. We come to church. We, we, we add to our spirituality by growing in our faith. That's building. We build our homes. I mean, if you have children still at home, what a responsibility that we have to help them build. And God says, listen, I want you to teach them. I want you to train them. I want you to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of God. Listen, don't take lightly your responsibility when it comes to your children. You're not just there to feed them and give them a place to live. You're there to teach them to love God, to live for God. I want to tell you, if our children turn out to be bankers and lawyers and they become rich or become successful in their careers, but yet they never darken the door of a church and they never want to do God's will for their life, how successful really are we? We're not successful. Success comes because we find our children have the same love for God that we have for God. Amen. That we want to please Him and that we want God's will to be done in our life. That's success when it comes to having a family. Amen. So we build that. How do we build that? In our homes, we have a family altar time before the kids go to bed or when they get up in the morning. How do we build that? We try to keep away those influences of their life, whether it's through TV, internet, or, or lost friends. We try to keep that stuff away. Why? Because we're trying to build them in their faith, and that they would grow up and have a love for God and see the realness in mom and dad instead of being hypocrites. The proverb says, an hypocrite destroyeth his neighbor. And I think there's been many children that have been destroyed because they've got a mom and dad that acts spiritual on Sunday, but they live like the devil during the week. Folks, I'm not trying to condemn anybody this morning, but I'm just trying to say you need to think about that family that you have, that God's given you the responsibility to build their lives for the Lord. Amen. Hey, by the way, the Bible says, David said, that he has never seen the righteous forsaken or seed begging bread. You don't have to raise children to be your retirement plan. I'm amazed at some parents that do never want to let go of their children. They are not your retirement plan. They are God's. So again, there's several things that we tried to build at this church. We've hit, uh, I think we've built spiritually, but we've built physically as far as building. I don't know what it was, but I, to be honest with you, I, I enjoy building. And I'm not, a, I'm not a, obviously, I'm not a master builder by any sense of the imagination, but there's just something about building, something that you see, something that's complete. 
Can I just tell you that Nehemiah, when he comes here and he's going to build this wall, it was a job. It was a bigger job than he could have handled because it needed God and God, of course, got involved. So this morning, I want to talk to you for just a little bit on how do we rise up and build and how does this, how does it take place? How can I build my family, what, what my family needs to be for God? How can I build a bus route or a Sunday school class or how can I build a ministry or how, how, how is it all going to happen? I think Nehemiah in the story here tells us, and I'm going to deal with three of them, tells us three things. Now, in your lesson, I think I must have given you eight or nine different things you could have in this morning. I'm not going to teach that this morning, uh, but some thoughts, you can read those yourself. But can I just tell you, as a Christian, we all need to be builders. And I think that we can be just like the children of Israel that was this remnant kept in, that came out of captivity on how they built and why they built. So the first thing I want you to notice is this. I want you to look at chapter 2, verse 17 with me. How are we going to build? What's it going to take to make this happen? In verse number 17, then said I, who's the I? Then said I unto them, you see the distress that we are in, who's the I? Nehemiah, Nehemiah speaking, and it's interesting, he puts himself in their situation as a, as, a, as a Jew. We are in how Jerusalem lieth waste and the gates are ever burned with fire. Come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem that we be no more a reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me. Now, church, we have a book of the Bible named after this builder named Nehemiah. Can I just tell you, the reason they rose up and built in 52 days, 52 days later, the walls were uh, mended and put together and built and the gates were on. I want to tell you why it happened, because they had a leader. They had a leader. They would have done nothing if Nehemiah would not have shown up. God did something in Nehemiah's life that caused Nehemiah to come say, hey, listen, we, us, we can't, we can't just continue like this. God wants us to do something. But it took somebody to say us. It took somebody to say we. It took somebody to take charge. Hey, listen, in your home, fellas, God wants you to be the leader. Listen, I want to tell you, we're living in a day today that the woman's the leader, and that's not what God intended. God intended for the father of the home to be the leader. I was studying this morning about Gen in Genesis and Adam and Eve, and it's interesting that when they sinned, God did not call for Eve, though Eve was the one that partook of the fruit first. In the book of Timothy, the Bible says that Adam was not deceived, which means when he took the fruit, he knew exactly what he was doing. But when God come to the garden, he didn't call for Eve. Guess who he called for? He said, Adam, where art thou? Amen. Hey, can I just tell you that when it comes to building, can I just tell you the first step in the home should be the father. Amen. The father should be an example of a person who reads his Bible. The father should be an example of the person who says no when no needs to be said. Amen. You, you cannot just be a yes man in the home. Well, my wife wants me to do that. Sometimes you have to tell her no. How many is glad you're married? Say Amen. How many, know, how many of you fellows know you wouldn't be what you are if it wasn't for your wife? Okay, it does not change the fact God gave you a good wife and gives you a good marriage that you still have to say no sometimes. Amen. Honey, I don't think we can do that because I don't think that's what the Lord wants. That's right. Honey, I, we're not going to do that. The children are not going to go there. The children are not going to do that. But I was thinking about a husband and wife. Um, they were deacons in our church in Sauk Village for years. And uh, they had two girls and one boy. Uh, one, two, three, two, two girls and two boys, and the girls were older, and I was, I was probably in seventh and eighth grade, and the girls were probably in like 10th, 11th, and 12th, and they were very um, pretty girls in the sense very, I mean, every hair was in place, all the fingernails were painted, makeup was just right, and um, those girls uh, confided in their mother but would not confide in their father. And that mother let those girls go out at night without the father knowing. The father worked for Ford Factory, so he had to go to bed early at night, and she let those girls go on dates without the dad even knowing. Can I tell you, 
that those girls ended up getting pregnant out of wedlock. Can I tell you those girls ended up in homes that are families that wish they that wished it wouldn't have turned out like they did. You know why that happened? Because there wasn't a mother telling dad, hey, listen, this is what's going on in the home. Amen. The responsibility is the father. Right. It's responsible. And, you, and listen, we can talk about why, why this is not working or there's, hey, whatever the complications are, it doesn't change the fact that a normal home should be a father who's a leader. And as a leader, we cannot just let things go. Listen, I rely upon my wife for a lot, and I'm gone a lot, and I'm so thankful for a wife that's there. But my wife reminds the kids regularly, I have to ask your dad. Amen. Reminds, she reminds the kids regularly, your dad's the boss. Listen, if we're going to build, it's going to take a leader. It's going to take somebody to take charge and say, okay, this is what we're doing. This is where we're going. Can I just tell you that I think the problem in a lot of churches today is simply leadership. God wants to do stuff in churches, but then they don't have a man of God that find out from God what God wants. And so, what would you like? What would you like? What would you like? Church, I mean, I love you, but I want to tell you something. There's something more important than what you want. It's what God wants. What does God want for a church? What does God want for your family? There needs to be somebody who will lead. Nehemiah came as a leader. You look at Nehemiah's life, and I don't, I don't have time to teach all this this morning, but you look through the book of Nehemiah. What you're going to find out, Nehemiah was constantly going to God. As soon as he finds out the wall's broken down, the first thing he does, he says, God, chapter number one, the half of the chapter is a prayer. In, in chapter number two, he's, you, you find him throughout this, this thing. He's constantly praying. Sam Ballot and Tobiah come along. First thing he does, God, would you please again turn, turn their, their, their discouragement, their, their uh, attack, would you turn it against them? He's constantly talking to the Lord. Can I tell you something? Every good leader needs to make sure they have a good connection with God. You need to get up in the morning and spend time in prayer. You need to acknowledge him in everything. Should we do this? Should we do this? My kids, uh, they'll, they, they want, whenever they want something, they'll ask. And I say, well, I don't know about that. I'll have to pray about it. And they always tell me, I've already prayed about it. I mean, they got the line right down pat. Listen, I need to pray about that. Dad, I've already prayed about it. I said, what did God tell you? He told me yes. I said, well, he hadn't told me yet. So go back and pray and ask him to tell me. leaders need to be people who pray because all we are is a delegated authority, the supreme authority, the word sovereign. He's all, he's all ruling. The sovereign God that we serve. And God's put delegated authority in the home. That's why God put a, fa a father. God put delegated authority in the church. That's why he gave a pastor. God gave delegated authority in government. And I, I'm just trying to tell you this morning that the reason these people had a mind, I'm sorry, the, the reason these people said let's rise up and build is because they had a leader. And you know what's going to cause you to rise up and build? What's going to cause your family, this church? It's going to be because there's somebody leading us. Right. Leading is not bad, by the way. We get very critical. I should say, sometimes I get very critical of even the, the president that we have right now. I want to tell you something, what's going on in the Ukraine right now, I don't know if it's heavy on your mind, but there's people who are dying already. As of two days ago, it was 167 people, I think it was, who had already, who'd already been killed and 300 and some people who have already been wounded. And that was as of a couple days ago. You know, it's crazy what's going on in, in countries around us. And by the way, it's the signs of the last time. There will be wars and rumors of wars. Church family, we're living in the best days you could possibly live in. We're closer to the Lord's return than even Apostle Paul was. Have you ever thought about the, the whole idea about the mask? Who would have ever thought that worldwide people would have put a mask on? Who would also ever think that worldwide, in, mo in a lot of locations, especially even here in the United States and in our own town, that you would have to have a mask to buy or sell? 
Do you understand it's not about COVID, it's preparing for the end times. The day is coming soon. And the world, the world platform for the Antichrist to come on has already been set mentally in their mind. It's a mental thing. They're accepting of that. What's going on in Russia right now? Church family, when it comes to talks about the, the, rulers, the rulers from the north that are going to come down, where's Russia? I'm just telling this is no surprise of all the things that are going on. It's just setting up for the Lord's return. And we look at leadership and think, man alive, what is leadership doing? And sometimes leadership does nothing, but that's the leadership God placed in the United States at this moment. But do you understand that we're not the president of the United States, but we're Christians. Amen. And there ought to be Christians that stand up and lead. I was thinking about this last night a little bit. Um, I was thinking about my generation, and I'm, I was thinking about uh, the generation before me. Now, I know sometimes we refer to a generation as 40 years. But church, I'm 52 years old. The generation of preachers before me, and I'm talking about that they would have been in their 60s and 70s, and some of them now have passed away. Those guys said it like it was. And by the way, crowds came to hear them. You know why? Because they had a touch of God on their life that we don't have today. People came to listen to them because when they got up to spoke, they didn't care about what people thought. They just said, this is what the Bible says. That's right. And what's happened is we have criticized this generation over here because they were a little rough. They weren't very polished around the edges. Sometimes they used terminology that was kind of offensive. But then you have my generation at age 52, and here's what I believe has happened. My generation, don't stay with me this, tonight, this morning. My generation at age 52 when it comes to preachers, it's this generation that wants to live what this generation taught us, but they're not willing to say it. Well, I'm an example of it. You know, if they just want to follow, you know, they can see that my wife and kids are all, we're all following that direction. Now, you listen to me very closely. This generation over here, because they've never heard it, they're not going to copy what they saw. They're going to copy what they hear. You talk about the downplay of what's going on in our generations where you had men of God. Thus saith the Lord, this is what the Bible says. And, and by the way, I don't necessarily agree with their disposition sometimes, but it doesn't change the fact. They would get up and say, get right or get out. Amen. Now, I'm just trying to tell you, my disposition, I hope, is not like that. But there needs to be somebody to say, this is what the Bible says. Right. If you get upset about it, it's because you don't believe the Bible. That's the bottom line. But what's happened is, this generation over here that, that I'm living in at age 52, we get a generation of preachers right now that, okay, they're, they're, yes, they're reading their Bible, and yes, their family is going the right direction, but they're not willing to get up and say, listen, if you're leading your family, you ought to lead it according to the way the Bible says you're supposed to lead it. Amen. This thing of missing church and dressing like the devil and listening to the wrong kind of music and going to the wrong kind of places, hey, listen, that's the devil. But what happens is, is we got a crowd of people, this lay out of C and age, they're stinking babies. I can't believe the pastor said that. You know, he's just so brash. I wish you all could have met Lester Roloff. Jack Hiles, Tom Malone, these leather-lunged preachers that got up and said, hey, this is what the Bible says. Stop living your life like you want to live. Stop letting the devil dictate in your life. Once you, once you live for God. Amen. And by the way, th this generation over here that was before me, they held a standard 
and they held the standard. My generation would like to pretend they have a standard. And I want to just tell you, the generation coming after me, have, they'll have no standard. Just come like you are. It doesn't matter. Do what you want. We all love God. They tried that at the judgment seat of Christ. I want to tell you something. They had a leader. The reason they rose up and built it because somebody was leading them. Something else I want you to see. Look at you before verse number six. So built we the wall, chapter four, verse number six. So built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together under the half thereof. Last phrase, why, why, did, why was it halfway built? Why? People had a mind to work. People had a mind to work. It's interesting. You think that word mind just means word think, but it's simply, it's interesting. If you look it, look it up in your lexicon, however you want to do it, but the word mind there actually means a heart. They had a heart to work. Sometimes we would use the word desire or will. In other words, they wanted to. Just remember, the walls are not going to be put together just because you say it's going to happen. It's going to be put together because you do something. Hey, I want to tell you something. I've said this for a long time, and I mean, I, I think it's true, okay? People do what they want to. It, it used to be people did what was right because it was right to do. Now it's a matter of people just do right if they want to. Amen. Well, if I want to. And we don't say that, but that's what Laocene Christians do. They're not hot, they're not cold. They just, oh, if I want to. I think if I, you know, if I want to go to church this morning, I think I'll get up. If I don't really feel like getting up, I think I'm going to sleep in. Maybe skip Sunday school, come to Sunday morning. If I want to. If I want to, you know, this week, if I, you know, I've got the extra money in the account, I think, I'll, I think I'll tithe, but, you know, if I don't have the extra money in the account, I, th I, don't, think, I don't think I'll tithe, if I want to. I'm going to tell you something, church family, you have to have a mind for it. You have to have a heart for God, you have to desire. What was the problem with the church at Ephesus, the very first church in the book of Revelation? They left their first love. What was their first love? I think their first love was Jesus Christ. Amen. They had a mind to work. A mind to, to do it. You know, when I came to Heritage and uh, we, we built our first building, it was a, it was a uh, bus barn, 33 by 54. It was the first building that we built. Our second building we built was a gymnasium, all-purpose building. It was 80 foot wide, 125 foot long. When we came out here, obviously, the first one uh, we put up was the machine shed at the bottom of the hill, which was uh, 33 foot wide and 125 foot long. Then the second building we put up was the uh, print shop building, if I remember correctly. Print shop building, 80 foot wide, 125 foot long, three story. Then this building that's behind us, uh, the educational building, that was the one that was on the old site. Took it down, set it back up. Then it came to this one. This one's 150 wide, 150 long. And, uh, you know, the people were crazy to follow me on those. I'm just telling you, if OSHA today would have known what we did then, I would be in prison. Just <laughs> The, the, the beams that you can see protruding from the walls, those beams protruding from the wall, everything is bolted together. It was a big erector set, so everything's, everything is bolted together. I just went down to, uh, to, to the rental shop and I said, I need, I, need some, uh, I need some machines to get that high. I didn't have anybody roped off, zero. I didn't know any better. I had never been to a professional building site before. I didn't know you're supposed to have these ropes so if you fall down, it springs you back up. I didn't know that. We, we just did it. If you fall down, you're not getting back up. <laughs> There's girts that go from, you can see the beam protruding out. Beam there, they're 25 feet apart. You can see that one right there, that one there, that one there. There's girts that go this direction. 
we, we shimmied across the girts to get to the next beam to bolt them down. All right. I'm just telling you, it's a miracle of the Lord. Nobody got killed. Miracle. And not one person ever said, is this very safe? <laughs> if you've ever seen the pictures before that we were putting the steel building together, the snow is coming down hard. It was, I mean, the, the ladies did their best to have hot chocolate for us, and we'd stop every few minutes, try to warm our hands up. But we're bolting this thing together in the winter time with snow coming down up on lifts while the wind is blowing the lift back and forth. It was the craziest thing in the world. I would never do it again. I'm just so thankful the Lord spared somebody from being killed. But you know why that happened? Because the people had a mind to work. I mean, they would show up by the droves. Brother, Brother Flowers is up, up there doing the sound system. When we were building on the old site over there, and him and I were building, working together, now he was, to me, he always seemed older. He still seems older to me. Are you, how old are you? You're not much older than me, are you? Six months older. But, you know, when I came, everybody seemed old to me. All right? So, so I, I mean, I just pictured him a lot older than I, and so him and I are in there working. And we're working on the upstairs on the other building, which would have been this building over there. And I'm telling you, that guy's tough. And so he's hammering along, and while he's hammering along, the hammer glances off one of the two-by-fours and hits him in the head. Blood is going everywhere. I wasn't laughing because I was making sure he's alive first, Okay. And so blood's going everywhere. I, I had never seen this before. He, he wipes the blood off and he puts super glue and glues it back together. I'm thinking, that's Superman. <laughs> I'd never seen that before. I'd never even heard of that before. But I'm just trying to tell you, these people from the heritage, they just came together and they worked. You know why? Because they wanted to. Yeah, you know what's going to help you in your Christian life? Get a want to. You know what's going to help you uh, serve the Lord, whether it's church, ministry, or any way? If you want to. What's your, what is your real want in life? Your, your real want ought to be God. It ought to be, okay, well, Lord, whatever you want. That's, that's what I want. Amen. I want to tell you the reason they were able to build, the reason you're going to be able to build a home, a ministry, a life, anything that's going to take building, I want to tell you how it's going to happen. Number one, because there's a leader. Number two, because you have a mind to work, a mind to make it happen. Last thing I want you to see is this. Would you grab your Bible again one more time? Look at chapter 6, the end of the story. Chapter number 6. In verse number 15 it says, So the wall was finished in the 20 and 5th day of the month, Elul, in 15 two days. And it came to pass that when our, all of our enemies heard thereof, and all the heathen that were about us saw these things, they were much cast down in their own eyes. Why? For they perceived what? They perceived that this work was wrought of who? It was out of God. Just me, uh, quickly, jump back to chapter 4. I want to show you something else here. Chapter number 4. Look at verse number 14. And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, Be not afraid of them. What's the next three words? Which is, remember of the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight for your brother and your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Look down in verse number 20, chapter 4, verse number 20. In what place thereof ye hear the sound of the trumpet, resort ye thither unto us. What's the last phrase, verse number 20? Hey, you know why they rose up and built? Because they had a leader. Number two, because they had a mind to work. But number three, because God did it for them. He said, God didn't do it. Man, those people had to come out there and they all, you know, they had to work together and this wall is humongous and it goes all the way around and there were people over here and over there and over there and over there and over there. 
No, I want to tell you the reason that wall got built. Because of God. Amen. You know why there's a Heritage Baptist Church today? You know why there's going to be a Capital City Baptist Church? Oh, it's because, you know, God brought Brother Mark Obscenic. It's because the Heritage Baptist Church bought a building. It's because, no, I'm going to tell you why. Because of God. You know why you're here? Well, I'm here because of the youth ministry. I'm here because of the music. I'm here because, no, you're here for one reason, because God brought you here. Do you understand that anything is going to be built, it's going to be built because there's God. I can do all things through, which strengtheneth me. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. impossible. We understand that it's not us. In fact, John 15, 5, what did Jesus say? Without me, ye can do nothing. Nothing. I cannot have any kids that even have a desire to serve God if it wasn't for him. Psalm 127, verse number 1, except the Lord build the house, what? They labor in vain, they build it. We're spinning our wheels, we're wasting our time. We're wasting our lives. If we're not on a regular basis begging God to work on our behalf. Got a great God. Merciful God. So these guys came together and they decided, hey, listen, we're going to put this wall together. We're going to build it because you know why? We got a leader. His name's Nehemiah. You know why? Because we want to. We got a mind to work. You know why? Because there's a God that lets us. God that lets us. Church family, are you building anything right now? I'm not talking about something physical. Are you building anything right now? Did you have your devotions this morning before you came to church? You have a desire to see anybody saved? Some of you led to Christ. Are you discipling them at all? Help them grow in their faith? Are you building anything right now? Are you leading the home? Are you teaching your children? Are you showing them from the scriptures why we do what we do? Church family, I don't care in a sense. I don't care what my kids do with their life as long as they don't exclude God from it. I don't try to get all my kids to go ministry. But don't exclude God. 